0: Good evening. You can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as a good 26-year-old and a member of the Gen Z generation, I thought it would be good to begin this sermon by telling you of something I found on the internet. So I found in the internet, or I googled this into the internet, this question. And the question was what can people not live without was what can people not live without I, i googled this and i found an article right away and the article contained a list of 51 things people cannot live without so 51 things people cannot live without let me share some of them with you so at spot 51 at spot 51 we have music Music. The article said, without music, the world would lose a lot of its magic. So at spot 51, we have music. At spot 47, we have adventure. The article said, having a sense of adventure is a wonderful thing that shouldn't be restricted to childhood. At spot 39, we have good neighbors. At spot 20, we have chocolate. At spot 7, we have books. At spot 3, we have caffeine. And at spot number one, the article says, at spot number one, we have sunshine. People cannot live without sunshine. Now, I am sure, depending on who you are, this list will look different. I'm sure, depending on who you are, this list may look a little bit different. Some of you might put music in the top 10. Right some of you might put books in the top 5 and maybe there's some of you out there who put caffeine as top in the top 1 right so I'm sure this list will look different depending on who you are but as we will see today there is one thing there's one thing that Christians cannot truly live without as we will see there is one thing that's foundational to the Christian life and that thing is grace grace is foundational to or for the Christian life. And our text for today, which is in First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, in our text for today, we are going to see why grace is foundational for the Christian life, and specifically we're going to find three reasons why that's the case, three reasons why that is the case. So let's begin, let's look at the first reason, and the first reason is going to be found in verses 1 through 3. So let's read verses 1 through 3, it says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus... And our brother, Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first reason grace is foundational to the Christian life, the first reason is because grace provides an accurate self-portrait. Grace provides an accurate self-portrait. And these verses we find, uh, these verses we just read, we find two different kinds of people, two groups of people. The first group is uh, the senders of the letter. The first group is the senders of the letter, and that would be primarily Paul, the author, and Sosthenes. So Paul, the author, and Sosthenes... Now, there isn't much information in the Bible concerning Sosthenes. He's a person that we see here in 1 Corinthians, and then there's a person of the same name uh, referenced in Acts chapter 18. But besides Acts chapter 18 and our text for today, there isn't much we know about Sosthenes. Now, the fact that Paul mentions him here in the beginning of his letter, it does inform us that that Sosthenes was probably Paul's personal secretary or his amanuensis. But for our purposes for tonight, our purposes for tonight, uh, we find the sender of the letter, who is primarily Paul. All right Paul is the sender of this letter. This is the first group we find. The second group we find it has to do with the recipients of the letter, and this would be primarily the Corinthian believers. All right This will be primarily the Corinthian believers. Paul does include all who have believed in the name of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus Christ as well uh, in verse 2. So we could say the recipients of the letter are all who have believed in the name of Jesus Christ, but once again, for our purposes, the recipients of the letter are primarily the believers in Corinth. So we have two groups of people. We have Paul and Sosthenes, and we have the Corinthian believers and also all believers as well. We have those two groups. But What's important in verses 1 through 3, what's important isn't necessarily these people, Paul and the Corinthians. What's important is that they have both experienced the grace of God. Both groups, both people, the senders and the recipients, they have experienced the grace of, of God. In Paul's case, he has experienced God's grace in that he was called, he was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Paul has experienced the grace of God in that he has been called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. One could say he was chosen by God for a special task. He was chosen by God by a special task. But as we all know, Paul did not start like this, right? As we all know, Paul did not begin his life as an apostle of Christ, right? Paul was Saul. In Acts, in the beginning of Acts, we know he was Saul before he was Paul. He was a persecutor of the church before he was an apostle of the church. He was a killer of Christians before he became imprisoned for the sake of Christ. Paul was called by God for a special task. But like we all know, he was called regardless, uh, by regardless of who he was and regardless on whether or not he deserved it, Paul was called by the grace of God. Now, in the case of the Corinthian believers, they experienced God's grace as well, because they too were called, and they were called to be saints. The word saints means to be set apart for special use or to be holy. So one could translate this and say they were called to be holy or to, they were called to, to be set apart for a special use. Now, we know Paul, we know, we know Paul's history. We know Paul didn't deserve to be called. But how about the Corinthian believers? Did they deserve to be called? Were they any better? And the answer is no. They did not deserve to be called. If you were to flip through your Bible and read the, some of the section headers in 1 Corinthians, you would see just how unworthy they were of being called saints, of I being mean, saints for, for, for the Lord. If you were to flip through yeah, in the ESV, uh, I have the ESV here, and if you were to flip through the ESV, you find section headers such as divisions in the church— You would find section headers as sexual immorality defiles the church, lawsuits lawsuits against believers, and flee sexual immorality. You, You would find section headers like this because this described the church in Corinth. And all those section headers that I just read, all those headers are just within the first six chapters of the letter. So, You see, in both cases, in the case of Paul and in the case of the church in Corinth, in both cases, we see that they did not deserve to be called for a special use. But Paul and the church were called. They were were called by God because of his grace. They were called by God because of his grace and a basic definition of grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. So that's the basic definition of grace. So we're left with a question. The question is, how does grace help provide us with an accurate self-portrait? How does grace provide an accurate self-portrait? Well, Well, the reality is that it's not just Paul and the church in Corinth who didn't deserve God's grace, right? It wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just the people in Corinth who, who, were, who did not deserve God's grace. Everyone who was called in the name of Jesus Christ, everyone who was a believer in Jesus, who was a Christian, does not deserve to be called as well. Now, or not now, now, Uh, None of us deserve to be called for salvation, let alone a special use. And yet the reality is, if you're a Christian, you have been called. You have been saved by the grace of God. You have been taken from being enslaved to your sin to, to becoming a servant of Christ. And this should produce in us two attitudes. It should produce in us two attitudes. The first attitude is an attitude of humility. Recognizing that you you were called when you, you, you were called when you didn't deserve it, it should produce an attitude of humility because you didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve God's mercy. So it should produce humility and it should also produce confidence because you have been called by an almighty God for a special purpose, for a specific purpose. So as we see God's grace in our lives and the way he has called us and the way he has saved us, it to produce humil- humility and it's to produce confidence. Right, Humility because we don't deserve it, but confidence because the almighty God of the universe has called us for a specific purpose. This is the first reason why grace is foundational for the Christian life. It provides you with an accurate self-portrait. That's the first reason. Now, the second reason grace is foundational is found in verses 4 through 8. So let's read verses 4 through 8 and, we, and find the second reason why grace is foundational. It says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason why grace is foundational is because grace fuels our thanksgiving. Grace fuels our thanksgiving. There are many people or things that will always be there for you in your life. Right? We know this. Friends come and go. Neighbors come and go. Cars come come and go, experiences come and go, and I'm sure if we, if we kept going, we can, we can keep going forever because we know the reality of life is that things come and go. Things don't always last forever. There are many things or, or people that will be there for you in your past, in your present, or in your future. But for the Christian, God's grace is there for us in our past, It's active for us in our present and will be there for us in our future. And in verses 4 through 8, Paul is thankful for that very reason. He's thankful that God's grace is present in the past, present, and future of the believers. And we're going to look at that now. Because in verses 4 through 6, we see God's grace... In the past. So in verses 4 through 6, we see God's grace in the past. Paul said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Paul gave the Corinthians three reasons to be thankful for the past. Three reasons to be thankful for the past. The first reason has to do with their salvation. The first reason has to do with their salvation. That's what he's referring to when he says, the grace of God that was given to you. That's referring to their salvation. The second reason uh, to be thankful for the past is because uh, the Corinthian believers, they were enriched. They were enriched, and they were enriched in all speech and all knowledge. Enriched in all speech and all knowledge. Now, This is not insinuating that the Corinthians were able to speak like motivational speakers or that they knew everything there was to know, right? All speech and all knowledge isn't referring to to the fact that they were great speakers or that they knew everything that they could know. Instead, Paul was referring to the fact that all who are in Christ are able to speak in such a way that, that presents spiritual truth to others. Before salvation... One is dead to the things of the Spirit, but after salvation, one is enabled by the Spirit to speak in a way or to communicate spiritual truths. That's all speech. That's what all speech is referring to. It's referring to the fact that they can speak in such a way that communicates spiritual truth, and we can probably say specifically concerning salvation. That's all speech. Now, all knowledge is similar. All knowledge refers to the fact that as a born-again individual... Believers can understand spiritual truth, right? Before, the, our understanding is darkened, but now we, uh, we, are, we have been awakened to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of, of who Jesus Christ is. Why? Because we, or Christians, have been recipients of God's grace so when Paul says, you've been enriched in all speech and all knowledge, it's not referring to the fact that they can speak and be great orators or that the fact that they know everything. It's just referring to the fact that they, they know the truths of salvation. They can speak to it, and they know them. And in that way, they have been enriched. That's the second way they've been. Uh, that's the second reason why they can be thankful. Now, the third reason they, be, they can be thankful for the things of the past is because the Corinthians They have also been confirmed. Or the testimony of Christ has been confirmed among them. So the testimony of Christ has been confirmed among them. The phrase testimony of Christ that we see in verse 6 most likely refers to the gospel to the gospel itself, rather than a, than a general statement about the life of Jesus, we see this phrase in 2 Timothy 1.8. It says there, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or the testimony of Christ, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So both in our text and in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the testimony of Christ is referring to the gospel, That's what has been confirmed among the believers. And the way it has been confirmed is by what we just talked about, by the fact that they have been enriched. So the testimony of Christ has been confirmed among the Corinthian believers, and the way it's been confirmed, it's been confirmed by the fact that they have been enriched. They can can speak towards spiritual truth, and they, they can understand that they know the gospel message. And that way, they have been confirmed, and in that way, they have been enriched. Those are three reasons why the believers in Corinth can be thankful for the past. So there's, there are three reasons, or there's are three ways they can see God's grace in, in their lives in the past. That's verse 6. Now, we continue to verse 7, and there Paul shifts his focus from the past to the present. So in verse 7, we, we see a shift to the present. And in verse 7, we find one reason to, get, to be thankful. And that reason is because, specifically for the Corinthian believers, they are not lacking in any gift. They are not lacking in any gift. There's a lot that can be said about what this gift is. But and due to the fact that it's singular and not plural, okay, it's gift, not gifts. And because of its connection to the word grace found in verse 4, I think we can rightly assume or rightly conclude that gift, the the gift Paul is referring to in verse 7 is the grace of God that we see in verse 4. This gift is God's grace. Now, let me explain a little further the connection between the word gift and the word grace. You see, in the Greek, these these two words are are closely related. Gift comes from the Greek word charisma, and grace comes from the Greek word charisma. So we have charisma and charis. There's a play on words here. And by the play on words, Paul is trying to link these words together to communicate the truth that grace in verse 7 is pointing back to... Sorry, no, that gift in verse 7 is pointing back to to, to the grace in verse 4. So gift equals grace. They are not lacking in God's grace in the present. So they, they did not lack it in the past, and they're not lacking it in the present. That's verse 7. Now, let's continue. Uh, we're going to continue to the future, and that's, we're going to see that in verse 4. In verse, not four, verse 8, we see Paul address the future, and we find one reason to be thankful there, and the reason is because Christ will sustain them to the end. Christ will sustain them to the end. If you are, or before I say that, let me just tell you tell you here that Paul is pointing out a great theological truth here. Right? He will sustain them to the end. He is pointing, pointing out a great theological truth. And the truth is that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, right? If you have a relationship with God through his son, you will never lose your salvation. If you are... A Christian, you will never lose your salvation. And the reason is because God promises to sustain you until the end. Your position in Christ is totally secured, not because of you and not because of what you can do, but it's secured because of the promise of God that he will sustain you, that he will keep you until the end, until you pass away or until Jesus Christ comes back. If you are a true believer, if you are saved by God, he will sustain you to the end. And that brings great comfort because in a world where, where things are always changing, right? In a world, there's, there's things that are always changing. But the, but the Christian can find confidence and can be thankful that in a world that's always changing, our position in Christ will never change will never change so verses 4 through 8 give us three three areas to be thankful in and all those areas are infused with the grace of God the past because we're saved by grace the present because we are being empowered by grace and the future because we will be sustained by grace Paul's pointing out the fact that grace fuels our thanksgiving we should be thankful to the Lord in the past, present, and future. We should be thankful for what he, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And he's doing all this because of his grace, because of, us, because of his unmerited favor. That's the second reason why grace is foundational for the Christian life. Now, the last reason grace is foundational for the Christian life is gonna be found in verse nine. So the last reason is gonna be found in verse nine. Let's read verse nine real quick. It says this, "'God is faithful, by whom you were called "'into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.'" The last reason grace is foundational for the Christian life is because grace reminds us of God's faithfulness. Grace reminds us of God's faithfulness. Verse 9 functions as a grand conclusion to everything Paul has said so far in verses 1 through 8. It's a grand conclusion. Everything Paul has said concerning our calling, everything Paul has said concerning our past, our present, and our future, all of the stuff we have seen and we have learned should lead us to boldly declare that God is faithful. That's what verse 9 is doing. It's a grand conclusion as you see God's grace in all those areas, it should lead you to, to boldly declare His faithfulness. And the word faithful is important because when we when it's used to describe God in the Bible, most of the time it's it's connected with His relationship with His covenant people. I'll say that again: when the when the word faithfulness appears describing God in the Bible, it's almost always in connection. To his relationship with his covenant people. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. In Psalm 144, verse 13, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord, Yahweh, is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. This word that we read as faithful, which means trustworthy or reliable, this word is is covenantal language. And that's, that's the word that Paul uses here to describe God's relationship with those who have been called into the fellowship of his son. So he uses this, this, this word faithful, covenantal language to describe our relationship with God. For, to those who have been called into fellowship, into the fellowship of his son. Now, this word fellowship, I know that the word fellowship is a word we use a lot. Sometimes it's used to describe activities or events. Maybe you've heard somebody say, I'm going to fellowship with some friends today. Sometimes the word fellowship is used in, in the academic academic world. is used to describe a form of scholarship that's given to, to students studying for an advanced degree. We use this word fellowship in many different ways, but here Paul was using uh, the the Greek word koinoia, which carries the idea of fellowship, but it goes beyond that because it also means partnership and oneness. This word fellowship carries the idea of partnership and oneness. It's even used a lot of times to describe the marital relationship. It's a close and intimate relationship. So those who have been called by the grace of God, those who have been called into the fellowship of his son, they have been called into the oneness of his son. It's a close and personal and intimate relationship that we have been called to with Jesus. So the Christian can boldly declare God's faithfulness because we have been recipients of his grace. Or in other words, grace reminds us of God's faithfulness. Grace reminds us of God's faithfulness. The Apostle Paul could have started this letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians, by addressing many different things. He could have addressed many different things. He could have started by, by addressing the sin that was present in the church. I mean, they were involved in sexual scandals. They they were involved in, in legal disputes, and, and there was there was worldly favoritism and division in their church. He could have started by talking about their sin. He could have started by talking about uh, the way they have become a stumbling block to, to, the, to the to the to the spreading of the gospel, right? They they, they were they, they should have been ashamed of the things they were doing. Not, they were the world doesn't even do some of the things they were. They were doing. So he could have started by talking about how they were a stumbling block to the gospel. Or, or he could have started by talking about punishment because of their sin. He could have started by talking about any of those things. Right? Their, their sin, their shame, their, their punishment. But instead he begins this letter to a dysfunctional church. He begins this letter by focusing on God's grace. He begins this letter to a dysfunctional church by focusing on God's grace. On unmerited favor, And he does this because if there's any hope for the Corinthians to change, if there's any hope for them to change in a way that honors the Lord, they are going to need to change from the inside out. Their affections and their desires are going to need to change because of the grace of God. They're going to need to change for the grace of God and because of the grace of God, not by or for human or external standards they're going to need to change from the inside out. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. We need to learn how to change from the inside out. We need to learn how to change from, from, our, from our hearts and our desires and our, and our affections, not the other way around. We need to teach and model to the next generation that the heart is more important than, than external conformity. We need to focus our change around the grace of God. Because if we, if we want to change in a way that honors the Lord, or if we, if we want to make lifelong life, life change or life-lasting change, we are going to need to learn how to change the, the right way. And it begins and it finishes with God's grace. It begins and it finishes with God's grace because grace is foundational for the Christian life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. You have have saved us. You have called us to be saints for your glory and for your honor. I pray that as we meditate on what we just heard, that, that it can move us, that it can move our affections and our desires towards you, that it can convict us of sin. But, Lord, help us change for your glory and for your honor. Help us change because of grace not change to just conform, not change because, uh, because that's what everybody else does. Lord, help us change from the inside out for your glory and for your honor because you deserve it and you have called us to be saints. And I leave this all in Jesus Christ's name, amen.